Today's episode of No Sleep Till Belmont is brought to you by Game Time. Okay, folks, time for a little pop quiz. Do you think New York Islanders tickets are cheaper three weeks or three hours before the game? You can find the answer with Game Time, the ticket buying app that proves patience is more than just a virtue. It can save you some serious cash. Game Time is the leader in last minute tickets. Pick your deal, see the view from where you're sitting, and buy in two taps. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the Game Time app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. So download Game Time in the App Store or Google Play, work that clock to your advantage, and score last minute tickets. All right, everybody, welcome once again to No Sleep Till Belmont, the Athletics Islanders podcast. This is Arthur Staple, your Islanders beat writer, joined as always by one of the more popular former Islanders, which is really saying something, Mr. Mark Parrish. How you doing, Mark? <laughs> doing good, Arthur. Looking forward to talking to you with you again. Yeah, yeah, we're just getting started. I think the first one uh, really went really well. People seem to react to it well. I think that has a lot to do with you. And uh, All right, we'll chop it up here. We've got some games that we need to talk about, but I think first... We're going to get into a little discussion of something that we didn't touch on last week uh, as it was unfolding, which was the Josh Hosang situation. And uh, it's a weird one. So I'll try to I'll try to give the bullet points here um, the best I can. Right now, he was waived last week. Uh, He was kind of one of the last forward cuts, Uh, cleared waivers. So nobody wanted to take his very affordable contract. Um, And then he, through his agent, uh, requested from Lou Lamorello to try to find a trade partner. Which sounds weird that he would go through waivers uh, unclaimed and then maybe get <laughs> traded, but it's not as weird as it sounds because people try to, you know, when you're cutting down to that 20, final 23 on that last day before the season starts, uh, teams are really juggling some some interesting cap situations, especially now. So now that the rosters are set, maybe a guy got hurt the first weekend. It's not totally far-fetched. That hasn't happened yet. Uh, it's been a few days. Uh, he still hasn't reported to Bridgeport. He hasn't been traded. So he's sitting home. Lou Lamarillo maybe is trying to trade him. Maybe is telling him uh, it's time to give it up and either come to Bridgeport or figure out something else to do with your life. Um, so that's where we are. And basically, uh, Mark, you know, what do you make of all this? He's a guy who was a first round pick. He's had a lot of ups and downs, which we'll get into a little bit more as we're talking about it. But but just what's your, what's your viewpoint as a as a guy who played and probably played with some interesting characters and and some super talented guys who never quite got it, I guess. Yeah, and it's it's a it's a difficult situation being, having a guy with uh, obviously the upside, the skill, the talent, uh, his ability to score goals and puts put points on the board is is somebody that you'd think everyone is looking for. But first and foremost, you cannot be a defensive liability. If you're going to be a defensive liability, that means you got to be Pavel Bury and score 50-60 goals mm-hmm. to outweigh the negatives that you're going to bring to the table by making those common mistakes and when you be- becoming a professional hockey player is consistency. It's more about what you do away from the puck than when you do with the puck. And I know that's a little bit of an oxymoron compared to what I was just saying, but he's the kind of guy that just has not been able to figure out the play away from the puck. And by sitting out right now and then moving on to how, I don't understand his thought process on sitting out. As a young guy, you've got to keep playing. You never know who's watching. And you nailed it too with with the day with today with the salary cap with the limits on rosters numbers these are this is that time of year where teams naturally have to give their guys an opportunity first and almost kind of prove that they can't make it and then that's how you build a successful team and Lula Amarillo obviously knows exactly what he's talking about when it comes to that so by Joshua sending out 
right now to me just doesn't make sense. It's it's a business and everybody understands like, hey, I want to shut out the NHL. I clearly don't feel he feels he's not getting the opportunity, even though he's gotten multiple opportunities in the last couple of years in New York to stick and play at the NHL level and just hasn't been able to figure it out. Who's watching him if he's sitting at home? Exactly. Who's gonna want to? Who's gonna want to jump on a guy that's been sitting at home for a week or two weeks or how, how long is this gonna last until Josh realizes that it doesn't matter if he's in Bridgeport or Long Island, he's still got to play. If his goal is to play in the NHL, well, then he's got to be playing hockey. One, he's gonna get out of shape compared to the other guys that are continue to play and get into more and more midseason form, and he's gonna be behind that way. And two. You said it. He cleared waivers already, so he's still got to show he's what he's up for. It shows his shows what he is as a player, shows what he is as a teammate, shows his character. There's just a lot of negative connotations that go along with the guy that demands a trade and then just refuses to report to Bridgeport. It it just it just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, it, it you know he, there's been a few things along the way here with him that that haven't made a lot of sense. I mean, I think if you go all the way back to uh, the year after he was drafted. He was in in camp uh, over at, at Iceworks. He was participating in the prospect camp. This was before the 15-16 season. Um, he was there. He was present. All these things that, that you needed to be. And then the first day of the big camp, I walk in in the morning, and I see John Tavares is on the ice with Andrews Lee on one side and then some guy whose name I couldn't for the life of me come up with on the other side. And I turn to whoever was working for the team at the time and say, uh, I assume that was supposed to be Josh's spot, and he nodded, uh, and I said, so what's going on? He's like, we'll tell you later. <laughs> so what happened later was he overslept uh, over here at the Long Island Marriott, which is right across from where I'm sitting right now in the press box of the Coliseum. Um, he, uh, I think he was rooming with Michael Dalcall, who was his fellow first-round pick in 2014, and it's certainly not Michael. Mike, you know, He's another 19-year-old who's who's trying to make sure he makes an impression. It's not his job to wake up his, his roommate. Um, so Josh misses the first shuttle over to the over to the practice rink, wakes up, doesn't know where he is. I think Garth Snow had already sent Eric Cairns over to see what was up. And uh, bef- <laughs> before, before Josh ended up going back to Niagara of the Ontario League, he spent the day where I am right now in the Coliseum, which had already had the ice and the seats all pulled out of it because they were getting ready to renovate it. And he ran the stairs for three hours. That was his workout. And Eric uh, Cairns was overseeing it. And um, it was it was a humiliating moment for, for Josh, uh, who probably thought that even at 19, he belonged in the NHL. Uh, and he seemed to learn from it. He came back and, you know, it was it was some fits and starts after that. He to in his in his favor, I guess, of, of not quite understanding where he is now at 23. He comes back at age 20 for the 16, 17 season. And he's. Staying in the, he's in the minors. Jack Capuano gets fired. He gets called up, has a great finish to his season under Doug Waite. They almost make the playoffs from out of nowhere. So he figures next season he's going to make it. Next season makes it. He's up. He's down. He goes down for good in December. And then by March of that year, he's still in Bridgeport while Doug Waite's team is giving up goal after goal after goal. And he's not a part of it. He's really the only guy that, that they swapped out. And then I went down to Bridgeport to talk to him, and he was – quite candid, as he usually is, which is another thing that might get him in trouble. Talked about how he felt he was singled out. So he's in he's in Dutch a little bit with, with that group. Garth is gone. Doug is gone. The new group comes in. You've got Lou. You've got Barry Trotz, guys who command a ton of respect. But he's back at square one with them. He's not 
he's not a talented guy who they feel like they can plug right in like a Matthew Barzell. He's got to prove all over again to his third new coach and his second new general manager that he can do what's necessary. And then day two of camp last year, he took a personal day and we've never really found out what that was about, but, but day two, you're already, you're already out of it. You know, he was, he was gone after a week and he did come up for a little bit last year, but, uh, and they went nine and one while he was up, but uh, you know, he has a certain role that he has to fill. Barry is a role oriented guy, as we talked about last week and his role for him to be a productive member of this team, he's got to be a top six guy, maybe a second power play unit guy, and he's got to be, like you said, defensively responsible, good away from the puck. Even if you're in a position where you're playing with talented guys, you've got to be able to think about the other side. And that's really what Matthew Barzell went through a lot of last year. He wasn't getting 22 minutes a night because he needed to show that, that Barry could trust him in it. And he certainly has done that. Um, and now we fast forward to this camp, and Josh is – Quiet as a church mouse all through camp. Doesn't say a word. He's working hard. He's contributing in the in the preseason games. He's he's back checking. He's he's breaking up plays in the defensive zone. But he hasn't earned that trust yet because of what happened last year. Michael Dalcall had earned the trust, and that was really the choice that they made. They kept Dalcall and they put Josh on waivers. Um, and I understand he want you know wanting a fresh start after all that. It sounds it sounds like a lot for anybody, and and even for. Uh, you know, for a talented guy who's a first-round pick who probably thinks that he belongs in the NHL, maybe a fresh start isn't isn't the worst option. But like you said, when you when nobody wants to claim you and you're on a on a basically on a qualifying offer deal where you're getting paid seventy grand in the AHL and whatever eight seventy five in the NHL, anybody can fit that on their cap pretty much if they really wanted you. You know, I look at I look at the Oilers. You know, I was watching them skate this morning. Their bottom six is atrocious. It's there's just not a it's, there's not a decent name in the in the bunch there's some hard-working guys but you would say well there's a team that might want him Connor mcdavid played with josh um when they were when they were in minor hockey uh, in the toronto area on this amazing team and on the same line maybe Connor could put in a good word for him there's probably lots of other guys around the league that could do that for him and nobody did and uh, and that's got a sting i you know i can't imagine yeah. what that what that feels like as a player you know, and I, it, it's, I, you know, I, I would like to think that I never went through anything like that where I had some friends and teammates I could call and put in good words for me. And as far as I know, I guess they did, but you never know uh, exactly what happens behind the scenes. But I think uh, one of the things, too, is it's it, it might be a lot of the off-the-ice stuff, the reputations, the players talk, general managers talk, Eric Cairns, Gar Snow, those are former teammates of mine, and I'm one of many, many, many along that list for both of them. And we talk, we talk in the summers, we talk in the off season, we talk during the season. And there's kind of been those kind of rumors. Is is he committed off the ice? Is, is his character off the ice going to ruin with chemistry, which is just as important as ruining with the chemistry or gelling with the chemistry on the ice? And I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of teams kind of sat there and said, you know what, let's see, let's wait and see how he reacts when he goes through waivers. Is he going to show his true colors? Is he going to take some time off? Is he going to sit, sit out or is he going to go down to Bridgeport? work his butt off and hopefully find a job somewhere else because every night you just you have to play the game every game somebody's watching you never 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 know who's watching so you play as if every team in the league is there scouting you and right now nobody can scout him he's just sitting at home pouting and that resonates with other teams too they want to see a a character guy that's kind of willing to go down there and show show he's got that uh, to, be, to, to sound redundant, that character where he doesn't care where he's at. He is just going to go down and he is going to play his best hockey and have faith that eventually somewhere in the system it's going to work out for him. And right now he's just adding to more question marks 
about his character off the ice. And that's, like I said, just as dangerous as on the ice character. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point about, about you go and you play and it doesn't matter where you're playing somewhat, you know, he could, he could end up going to Europe and people might say, well, we're never seeing him again, but somebody's watching at all times. You're absolutely mm-hmm. right. It, it's uh, it, it's something that I think fans, people on the outside tend to forget. And I, you know, cause you, you know, you get a, you get an, an ego blow like that and, and it hurts. Um, and you, you kind of want to not want to give up, but, but you don't understand that, that the, it's not just about this culture of hockey where everybody's anonymous and everybody has to be a team player. You just have to do what you do somewhere and, uh, and yeah. something will eventually work out. And I, and I really thought last year was, was going to be that year. He, he did play well in Bridgeport. He was contributing. He was doing the things that Brent Thompson wanted him to do. Um, there was not a lot of, you know, he, he was still himself. He's still, uh, you know, a, to his own detriment, sometimes a, a painfully honest young man when you talk to him, which is great for us in the media, but not so great for his teammates or, uh, or his bosses. But, um, you know, it's funny. I, I did a story before the season began where I reached out to some of his uh, amateur coaches um, and the guy who coached that Toronto Marlboros team with, with Connor McDavid and Josh was getting Ken strong. And, and he, you know, just hearing him talk and, and going from him to Marty Williamson, who coached him in Niagara, to Brent Thompson, to hearing Barry Trotz talk, it, it's a lot of the same things. And I, and I don't know that, I, I don't know if I would want somebody who knew me when I was 13 and then when I was 23 or 33 or on up to say, boy, he's pretty much the same guy. He's having the same issues. And it's just like, you got you to gotta learn from it at some point. And, he, and, and, the, and the killer part is having dealt with Josh for a lot of years is he's a smart guy and he and he is not a bad person you know people have this idea of him as as telling coaches to go f themselves or or yeah. you know ignoring people it is it is a hundred percent not that way he he does take it in he's he's able to have interesting conversations about hockey he cares about hockey clearly um but it doesn't always translate into things on the ice and i think it makes a lot of the coaches question question that character which you know it is something that to me he doesn't he's not a bad character it's just like you said it's you question it and and you have to leave no doubt for anybody that you're that you're committed and and that you want to do what they want you to do and that's part of pro sports and it's part of life yeah yeah and and i agree and i and i I suppose i did generalize where i'm glad you brought that up too because it doesn't necessarily mean he's a bad i didn't mean he was a bad guy but is there, it, you, you kind of nailed it, and I actually put it in better terms than I did, where it's becoming professional. It's growing up with a maturity about being a man, being a professional, owning up to things, uh, whether it's showing up on time, you know, sit, hey, and you know, in the showing up on time, everybody's done that. Everyone that's ever played the game has had that moment where they slept in, they missed their alarm, everybody's done that. But if that's the one thing you get, everybody laughs, and that's fine. Don't ever do it again. Make sure you set a couple of alarms. But that is also where it starts to trend. Is like, all right, where else is he showing his, his, his immaturity? And, and that's where he's kind of, he's continued to be, whether it's showing uh, an immaturity on working on his game and focusing on the, the details, focusing on the aspects that Lou and, and Barry want him to focus on, or is he just kind of being that young, hard-headed player now i want to immature where he's just nope and so focused on what he thinks and he thinks he's right it doesn't like you said it doesn't make him a bad person but it does make him a bad professional yeah yeah and uh, and funny you bring up the the lateness thing i remember quite clearly too 
sitting in, in Garth's office uh, that day and having he gave me some very strong quotes. You know, he said, it's time for Josh to grow up. And uh, mm-hmm. as, as we were talking, he was running the stairs right here in this building, the Coliseum, which um, had to have been a, a pretty serious wake up call, the one that he didn't give himself uh, a few hours earlier. But when we were done, and Garth and I were kind of talking about his reaction to it off the record. He said, uh, you know, people are going to going to think that this is the first he that he only got one strike that we're, we were on him because of his reputation uh, coming into the draft and that we were we were, you know, we, he had a tighter leash than everybody else. It's like, you think this is the first thing that's happened, that, that that's how we would react. And that's what always stuck with me. You know, it's not something you know, there's there's a lot of stuff that happens in this job where you hear things and you can't write them because you don't want to betray the confidence of people that, that are important to you. Um, yep. But I always remember that one. And that and that is a reminder that, you know, he, he did have a lot of growing up to do. And I think that stuff has kind of gone out, you know, in the last few years. I don't think he's I don't think he's off the ice behaving in a way that's going to stop him from doing things on the ice. I think it's just more in his head right now that he has to be quiet and listen and do exactly what he's told and use his, his incredible skill to, to be a part of the team instead of setting himself apart. That That's the part that comes later. You look at a guy like Barzal, he has to learn to be the focus of the offense, but also be a guy who's not missing on in the other, the other zones of the ice and, and missing in meetings and missing, you know, all those other kind of things. And, and uh, it, it's a hard thing, I imagine, for, for guys who it's always come very naturally to, to, to play that way. And now I think as we spin it forward now to talk about the Islanders here and, and their opponent tonight, the Oilers, I think it's a thing that Connor McDavid is, is, you know, you wouldn't think a guy like that would have to learn anything. He's, he's so far <laughs> head and shoulders better than everyone else. But a guy like Dave Tippett has come in and Ken Holland has come in and talking to a couple of the Oilers uh, guys who've been around there a long time. You know, they're trying to emulate what the Islanders did with Lou and Barry, bringing them in. That you've got some skill. I mean, you've got Connor, who's otherworldly, but you've also got a group that doesn't know how to. They don't have those reps of of success that uh, that you, you. They've tried to skip a lot of steps and cut some corners and done a bunch of different things over the years. And that McDavid's been there, and it hasn't worked out. So now they're stripping it down and saying we're going to work from the back end out. Even Connor McDavid can learn to play defense and have it turn into offense and uh you know i'm interested to see that what they've what they're bringing to this game tonight because they're really trying to to emulate what the islanders did and that's uh, that's a big compliment to what the islanders accomplished in, in such a short period of time last year so now uh now that we're done talking about josh for a little bit and we'll see how that resolves itself um the islanders had two games friday and sunday their season opener was a 2-1 loss to the capitals here at the coliseum and then they followed it up with a 4-1 win over the jets on sunday and it was a jets team that looked a lot different than the team that made it to the conference finals a couple of years ago um and then this week they've got the oilers tonight they go to carolina the scene of the crime last year where they were swept in the second round and then they come back for the second half of back-to-back this weekend with the florida panthers um so mark you watched their first two games or at least some most of it What'd you like and what you didn't like about the Islanders uh, opening weekend? You know, obviously with a, a small sample size, the one thing that jumped out to me was was their D zone. They, they, they've stayed committed. They understand their confidence with that. They understand that's their focus. You win in the, the D zone wins, defense wins championships. And I was really, really impressed with how they just picked up where they left off last year. And they're giving up three goals in two games. You give up uh, – 99% of the coaches I ever played with, it was two goals or less. If you give up two goals or less, then you're golden. 
you can't help but ask for anything more than that. Sometimes you're going to run into a hot goaltender, just not going to be able to find out find the back of the net. They're only able, able to get one goal against Washington. Well, hey, two to one loss, you can live with that. Just come right back. Offense picks it up, and whether it's the you know the Jets a little depleted or whoever it is, the the teams, the the great teams, the championship caliber teams, it's consistency. It doesn't matter who they're playing. It's about how they are playing as a team. And that's what I've been impressed with most is just that their game, their style of game, their D zone, their defensive mind really hasn't changed from last year. Obviously, it's a, it's a smaller sample size. I'm looking forward to when we get to game, not even game 10, but maybe 15 and game 20. And then we'll have a really good sample size of kind of, of how this, a good good look at so many games and how this team really is going to play out. Are they going to be as committed? Are they going to be as good defensively last year? And are they are they going to take the step up and show that offense that they have? And that's just part of that process we spoke about last week. Yeah, it was. Uh, I agree. They didn't, just seeing them in the defensive zone, they didn't. They really didn't give Washington a whole lot in that game. And and I thought, you know, their forecheck was really it was it was not prime midseason last year, but it was pretty close for a first game. Yep. They were they were breaking up a lot of the Caps stretch plays, trying to disrupt them in the neutral zone. I mean, it, the last 10 minutes of the third period, Washington kind of overwhelmed them, and that, to me, looked like a team that had played a couple nights before and gotten their legs under them and a team yeah. that was playing their first game. But but, uh, but really, they, what killed the Islanders was just fumbling away some, some good chances. They turned a lot of pucks over. Mm-hmm. They just didn't turn them into, into goals, and, and they really kind of let a rookie goalie that Washington uh, kid making his NHL debut, Ilya Samsonov, they kind of let him off the hook because he was a little shaky. You know, he gave up that one like quadruple skate deflection that Taves threw from the wall, <laughs> which is, uh, I don't think he could, if he, if he had yeah. 10, 10 pucks in his hand, he couldn't do that again. But, um, but yeah, they, you know, and I think there was, you know, there, there was definitely in the back of my mind and on the forefront of Islanders fans on Twitter, as it always is when it's, you know, they're venting after a loss, um, the worry about where the offense was going to come from because they, they did stumble a little bit when they, when they needed some, you know, to, to produce, um, but then they come back on Sunday and uh, against a, a Winnipeg team that's got some some real firepower. I mean, obviously their their D is uh, is pretty much a mess, having let, traded away Jake Truba, Tyler Myers leaves. Buffalo, Dustin Bufflin is is contemplating life from a fishing boat or wherever he is. It's <laughs> exactly up in, where up he in is. your up in your neck of the woods. <laughs> you nailed it. He's on a fishing boat somewhere. <laughs> um, and then Josh Morrissey bumps into a teammate and so that's basically their only other really good NHL defenseman. So they're, you know, they're, they were really, it was real meatball surgery for them on the back end. And you could see a lot of the plays, the Islanders were really tar- starting to take advantage as that second period wore on. Um, but the, but the limiting of chances. And I, and I wanted to talk a little bit about Adam Pellick and Ryan Pollock, who Barry Trotz, you know, has been trying for over a year, pretty much since he, he got to the Islanders to make those guys, his number one pair. And, and, um, you know, I think it, it maybe is a little bit of a surprise to a lot of people who don't watch the Islanders often. A guy like Pellick, who's very unflashy, he's kind of a throwback style defenseman where, you know, he's he's not necessarily a, like a, you know, chip it in, chip it out, chip it in kind of guy. He can skate for sure. You have to be able to skate in today's NHL as a defenseman. But um, but he is he is a positionally sound guy who can break up a ton of plays. Uh, I had written a story last year where Greg Cronin, who was an assistant of Jack Capuano, 
called uh, called Pelic the Cobra because he could just throw that stick out and break up plays. And, uh, and I remember talking to John Tavares a couple of years ago before Pelic was more established, and and John was saying this guy is going to be a top four guy for a long time just because of the way that he reads the play and breaks it up. He's not necessarily going to be a forty or fifty point guy from the back end, or maybe even a thirty point guy. But he's got a lot of defensive skill and a good defensive mind. And I think Barry Trotz saw that early on last year and tried to make them that number one pair that he, he clearly didn't didn't feel that he had. And they really struggled. I remember they, they played early in there. They played, I think it was the home opener against Nashville. And, uh, and Nashville's top line with Johansson and Forsberg really torched those guys. And, and so Barry had a little bit of second thoughts and um, ended up breaking them up. Pelic was actually a healthy scratch a couple of nights, but I think it was more about confidence than skill. And by the end of the year in that Pittsburgh series, you know, there's a reason Sidney Crosby didn't have a goal in that series, and it wasn't because of Robin Leonard. It was mostly because of those two guys that they were they were breaking up plays and keeping them from real dangerous areas. And I think if you watch these first two games of the season, whether it was Ovechkin's line on Friday or the Shifley Wheeler line um, that did end up getting a goal, but it was it was Letty and Pellick that were out there. It was kind of in the middle of a change in that second period, but uh, but they're just not they're they're not giving up grade A chances to the other team's top lines, and that's going to be big test tonight with McDavid, who was a a, a junior teammate of Adam Pellick's back, back in Erie. Uh, so I'm curious to see if uh, if they know each other's moves a little bit better than maybe some other guys, but but having that shut down top pair that can also skate a little bit and maybe provide some offense is. Uh, is huge if those guys can continue on that path. I don't, I would think. Yeah, and I, I, I to go along with what you were saying too that because of how well they've played and last year, that was played a much bigger part in not re-signing Leonard than I think a lot of people realize. It, you know, it goes back to the Jennings as a team trophy, and with Barry and with Lou getting to watch these young defensemen mature and gain the confidence and becoming solid. NHL shutdown defense, that is where they feel confident with, hey, we can bring in Varlamov and, and move on and go for our goalie in the future for, you know, in a couple of years. But it's really impressive how well they've come along. It, and it's hard. It's hard to play defense. It's hardest, harder to learn how to play defense than it is to play offense in the NHL. It was easy for me as a rookie. If I made a turnover and made a mistake down in the offensive, lo- offensive zone, well, I still had to go 200 feet before it got into my net. And there was, I had to go through a bunch of people for defensemen when they make a mistake and there's a breakdown in today's game with this skill, especially talking about like guys like Connor McDavid and Drysaddle with one of the, the two of the most dynamic pair, arguably the top two, three in the NHL coming in. You make a mistake in the Ozone, it's in the back of your net. And it's it's everybody knows. You you know you're making Sports Center and not for the right reasons when that happens. So you've got to be just that much more confident in your ability. You, and you said with not just positioning, but making the play, having the confidence to stand your ground, having the confidence and knowing one. And to go along with, I guarantee you, McDavid and he know each other. That's one of the most fun parts is when you're playing against your buddies that you've known forever. Yeah, the skills might have changed a little bit, maybe a little bit bigger, maybe a little bit stronger. But for the most part, when it comes offensive, the thought process stays the same. I, I, I scored goals the same way in the NHL as that I did in high school. Yes, I learned more and more tricks along the way, but your instincts still will stay the same, varying, varying just a little. So I'm looking forward to seeing who gets the upper hand here when Edmonton comes to town. Yeah, it, uh, it, it's, it's interesting to see those guys develop. And, and Pellick, to me, 
the he signed a four year deal for worth one point six million per year uh, with Garth Snow a couple of years ago, and it's got this year and, and one more year left. And if he's a guy that can can play twenty two, twenty three minutes a night and shut people down and still chip in twenty twenty five points, um, that in today's Priceless. NHL, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, you, you're thinking <laughs> now. Now you know. I mean, it, you know, you don't want to say, well, now a guy like Nick Letty is, or Johnny Boychuk is expendable, but that's the reality is that <sighs> you've got you've yeah. got cheaper cheaper younger guys, and then you get and, and the next guy we're going to talk about Noah Dobson who's making his NHL debut tonight. You get you get the entry level guys who can come in and hold their own a little bit, and all of a sudden by the end of the year you're saying we've got these guys that are that are pieces we can have going forward and and take a two percent of our cap instead of 10 or 15 or 20 percent of our cap um mm-hmm. then you can start then you can start to really think about upgrading uh, in areas that that you need to upgrade yeah absolutely and, and it shows it'll show what kind of character those players are too i remember uh my one of my last year before last year or the uh excuse me my last year in long island all of a sudden i was uh asked to hey why don't you help trent hunter out and show him <laughs> some tricks in front of the net and you know you bag your head going yeah, I'm teaching him to take my job, aren't I? <laughs> but you understand that, that, and that's all about being professional. Obviously, an older guy. If I was, you know, younger in my career, would have probably maybe I wouldn't have thought the same way. But I, I, I recognize that as well. That that's just the name of the game. The salary cap era had started. Now you've got to look at the younger guys. You've got to give your guys a chance. And as an older guy, you've always you've got to remember you're still a good teammate. You've got to be that good teammate. It goes around, comes around. So they're going to talk about that. Wherever you go next, the GMs, the teammates, they're going to hear about what you did. Oh, yeah, you know, Perry knew that he was on the outs with the island, and he still sat there, and, he, you know, he did his job and helped Hunter and helped Trent as much as I could. And that's just being not just a good professional but a classy professional. Yeah. Yeah, well, Johnny Boychuk is uh, is experiencing that tonight uh, yeah. with uh, Noah Dobson taking a spot in the lineup and and against Johnny's hometown team in the Oilers. So there could be there could be some angry Boychucks back in Edmonton watching the game tonight. But that's that's the way it goes when you get, to, yeah. get into your mid thirties. I've um, been there. I've been there on both <laughs> sides. I remember going to in Dallas, doing it in Minnesota, and yeah, it stings. It's it's not easy, but uh, this is where Johnny Boychuk gets to show his true colors and his character, not just for the fans or not for the team in Long Island and the Islanders, but also for his friends and family and everyone else that's watching back home. Yeah. And, and no one has any, anyone who has ever met Johnny Boychuk would have any doubt that he's going to be, you know, he and he and Dobson sit side by side in the locker room at, uh, yep. at the practice facility. So there's a reason for that, that, that Dobson is, uh, you know, is the youngest guy sitting next to the oldest guy on the team. And, and Johnny's, uh, he's a true pro. So, so we've got 100%. Noah Dobson. Dobson's debut coming up tonight uh, after sitting the first couple of games. Nineteen-year-old um, defenseman. He's won two Memorial Cups. He's he's accomplished a lot in a, in his amateur career. But what do you think that that first first game? Uh, nerves, butterflies, jitters, whatever you want to call them. What you know? How do you handle that? And how do you, especially? You, I, I know you can't put yourself in the position of a defenseman making his debut as a teenager. But um, you know, where do you see this guy? Uh, you know. Ha- how does he get used? How to? How do you react to an opening night uh, in your first game? Yeah, you know, it, it's it's a tale as old as time. I, I remember saying the same to many many players along my career. First game, hey, you've played this game a hundred thousand times. Go play your game. Go play your game. Don't worry about. Don't get caught up in the systems right away. 
just go play. Get your feet moving. Get into it. No one is expecting a perfect game. No one. You and as the player, as a young guy, you're like, all right, I got to do this right. I got to do this right. Well, no, you don't. This is how you're going to learn. There's going to be a learning curve. You go out there and worry about everything that you've got to do and worry about the details. You're going to get stuck up in your head. and You're not going to just move and just play the game. Play the game. Get into it. Make a mistake. Come back to the bench. People will talk to you. The coaches are going to talk to you. It's going to happen. It's a game built on mistakes. But just go and play. And then we're all in the same boat. We're, all of us, the, the, the players, the teammates, the coaches, we don't know what's going to happen either. <laughs> he may go out there and have an amazing, might do the, the Kale McCarr last year and come out and just have a spectacular first game. He might come out and stumble and fall on his face. But that's all part of the learning curve. And then you want to see, and then, more importantly, is what's the reaction to how the first game went. So he comes out tonight and he plays a great game. And let's just say he's one of the stars of the game, just whatever it may be. First goal, assist, block some shots, whatever it is. Well, how's he going to react to it? Is he going to come back out and stumble? Or if he stumbles, how is he going to react to that the next way, next game? And that's the that's a, to go back to the professionalism, to find that 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 confidence, to find just that even keel, and be able to do it night in and night out, regardless of a great game or a bad game. It's just finding that level, just staying consistent. Yeah. What um, we didn't really get into some of the the you know the iffier things from the first couple of games. Was there anything that you saw these first couple of games? Anyone that you you thought you know looked like they were taking a little you know taking a little time to get up to speed, or, or maybe some area of the Islanders game that uh, that still needs a little bit of work. You know, uh, the one thing and I noticed it too is with with you, like that they were they were just kind of fumbling the puck a little bit that Washington game, and where they're just missing some opportunities and, and not taking advantage of or looking for a cute little play. And you know, again, that goes back to it's it's the first game, it's the first couple games of the year. I remember I was it always seemed to be, I always seemed to be squeezing that stick just a little too tight up until I finally got that first goal of the year or finally got that first play that just worked out. And it's uh, more of a mental barrier than it is a physical barrier because obviously we've seen these guys in Barzell. We've seen all those these great players and what they can do offensively. But it just, it's been a long summer, even though they made it to the second round of the playoffs and to kind of get back on the board and you see the score sheet and everybody's announcing first goal, second goal, this and that. And when when you're looking and you still have that goose egg, you just kind of tend to squeeze it a little bit. So that, that was kind of natural, even though that was the one thing I noticed as well. It stood out to me the most. It's Like I said, it's first two games. You need a bigger sample size. If this gets into 10, 15 games, and there still seems to be kind of on and off with good cop, bad cop when it comes to offensive, then you know, then I'm, I'll start to worry a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that makes sense. It's, uh, it definitely... There was some rust on on some yeah. other detail, and it was, and, it was, uh, it was a bit sloppy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and 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 really Sunday, you know, that second period, I think, um, just checking some of the 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 public uh, public public metric sites, I think they were credited with fourteen high danger chances just in the second period alone against that against the Jets, and that that was uh, that was as many as they had in some games, probably yeah. more than they had in some games, and they really were that dangerous in that second period, and. You know, it, like we talked about, it was it was a kind of a, a hamstrung opponent that was taped together a lineup and a taped together a defense. But doesn't matter; those are points on the board, and you got to get them. and And I yeah. think Edmonton, Edmonton, like we were talking about, they obviously have McDavid, they have Dr- Leon Drysaddle, they have Ryan Nugent-Hopkins. They don't have a ton else, 
and they're yeah. still trying to figure out their way. I know they're two and zero, but they haven't really played a, a team as disciplined as the Islanders. And you gotta you gotta go for the throat there. These these games early are are just as important as the games late, as everybody always talks about. If you're not within a point or two of the the playoff chase by uh, by Thanksgiving. You know, the percentages are, are not in your favor for making the playoffs. So uh, these games are, are pretty huge for them. And, uh, you know, not certainly can't call Edmonton an inferior opponent if they're 2-0. But, but it, will be, uh, it will be points there for the taking if they can, uh, if they can take advantage. So yeah. also, as we were talking about, Friday they go back to Carolina. Um, scene of the crime where they were eliminated last year in the second round by a team that was not necessarily more skilled or more talented than them, just... You know, I think kind of the way that they overwhelmed the Penguins with what the Islanders did well last year in that first round, and the Penguins weren't able to react. Carolina, whatever they, whatever magic they had pulled out from that Game 7 OT win in Washington, they kept it right on going through those first two games in Barclays Center that they won by a goal, won in overtime, and won with like a basically one minute of good play and 59 minutes of hanging on for dear life. And then once we got down to Carolina, the, the ball had kind of rolled away from the Islanders and it was going down the hill and that was it for them. So what, uh, I mean, you played in, in some, you know, certainly that, that Toronto series in o, in 02 is the one that always stands out. When, when you went into Toronto the next year for the first time, were guys pissed off? Were they saying to themselves like, I hate coming here. We 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 lost our our season ended here, and I want to I want to I want to murder these guys basically. You looked forward to it. We couldn't <laughs> wait to get back to Toronto to that next year. Just you know, avenge ourselves. It's yeah. It's it's one of those that the that's where the rivalries begin and really start to take root as your team is starts in the playoffs and then it carries over to the regular season. You get, uh, and I was, I was actually just explain, explaining this to my brother. The, the beautiful thing about a playoff series is you're playing against the exact same line every single time you're on the ice. Every faceoff, you're looking at the same guy. It's, it's the systems and the game plan is down to such a T that you just see the exact same people every single time on the ice. And you really just get sick of facing <laughs> off against the same guy every single time you're on the ice. Then that carries over to the next season. Because of course, as hockey players, we you know we tend to uh, chirp and talk to each other on the ice, and then seeing Toronto, of course, like oh yeah, you're gonna beat us just like you did last year, and it just adds more fuel to the fire. Even though it's not a playoff series, you still you just want to at that point on. Anytime I ever lost any playoff series, that team was my enemy from there on in. I just wanted to beat them, whether it was regular season. I don't care if we were just playing shitty hockey and they were on the other team getting ready in the summer in august it just builds a rivalry inside of you just a personal one that then that carries over with your team and whether you were on the team before the last year or not you get caught up in it who was who was that face that you hated seeing after that series do you remember who that who the left wing was for uh roberts <laughs> oh, oh and he played hard too you, you know so he was one of those guys that was just he was just constantly there and old school, like just sticks everywhere. And he was always seemed to be poking and jabbing and I, I, I appreciate and respect it, but man, I just was sick of him. <laughs> well, after, after the hit that he threw on Kenny Johnson in that series, oh. I imagine, I imagine Islander fans have never stopped being sick of him, despite the fact Mm-mm. that he's, he's grown into this uh, trainer to the NHL stars now, which is, uh, right. which is pretty hilarious. Yeah. And it's, you know, it, talking to the guys too that i you know and i never played with them or anything like that but everybody's he was just one of those 
you know, the Matt Cullen, the Rod Brindamore, he, they just one of those legendary work ethics and his nutrition and supplements were all nailed down to a T and all that. You're like, yeah, it kind of, I guess it shows, I guess, a little bit too, because man, he, he played with a fire that uh, not many guys have had for that long in their career. Yeah, for sure. Well, um, I think we've, uh, we've chopped it up pretty good here. Uh, episode two. Pretty excited about what's to come. We've got uh, one more episode to come this week on Friday. That'll be our subscriber-only episode that you can only get on The Athletic. Mark's going to bring some fun stories from his time with the Islanders. I'll bring some fun <laughs> behind-the-scenes stories from my my many years on the Islanders beat. And uh, I hope the Islanders fans turn out. So thanks a lot, buddy. This was fun again. Awesome. Always. Thanks, Arthur.